Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. Welcome to Speedy Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today for what I know is going to be a fantastic show, even though I'm fighting a little remnant of a sinus infection that just does not seem to want to go away. So if I have unexplained coughing and... Other kinds of symptoms, you'll know what's going on, but we have a guest today, so I did not want to reschedule, Uh, and I'm so happy that Madeline is joining us today. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Laura. We're so glad that you're here, and I just want to go ahead and start with her email. She sent me an email, kind of the middle of December, and she's a speech pathologist, and this is what she said. So let's just start with this email, and we'll go from there. But I think as a therapist, if you listen to these details, you're going to recognize <laughs> this situation in this kid because we see this kind of child over and over and over. And so I thought her questions were just so representative <laughs> of the kinds of things that we all uh, deal with every day as early intervention professionals. So I wanted to have her on to talk about these things directly. And if you're a parent... You may recognize some of these things in your own child as well. So we have lots to talk about today, so I'm not going to do a general blah, blah. We're just going to get started with our topic here. And so let me just read her email just like it came to me, and then we'll kind of get going. Now, Madeline, if you want to interrupt me as we go, if you have something important to say that you think, oh, I wish I would have said this, you just interrupt away because I have no boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with, uh, that kind of thing. So it's not being rude to me. My whole family, we talk over each other all day, every day. So you can jump right in there if you need to say something. Okay. So she says, she's telling me at the beginning, you know, I love your show. I listen to it between visits in the car, which so many of us who do home health do. And she says, I'm an SLP working in pediatric home health, and I have a lot of early intervention kiddos. I'm contacting you because I would love advice with one of my two-year-olds. He has many red flags for autism but is not yet diagnosed. And let me just say, for those therapists listening, Madeline and I have been talking about all those kinds of things before the show, and we are probably not going to talk about that a lot on the show because we could do, oh gosh, a whole hour about that. Today I want us to really focus on ideas that she can use with him, but just just so you know, all you picky therapists out there listening, she's on this, and she's got a plan, and she's doing the right thing for this family, so we'll just kind of leave that there. All right, she says he's two and a half now and will be going to preschool soon. He has no words yet, but he babbles a lot. I haven't been able to get him to imitate sounds yet, even though we've been practicing this for months in many different fun ways. I can make him smile and laugh, but he is very, in all caps, busy. (laughs) He climbs all over the couch, climbs up into his tall high chair, and climbs along the windowsill. It is difficult to keep his attention, but that's the area in which he has improved the most. And so that's so great that you mention that, and you're seeing progress with that. And even though he still sounds like he is, for lack of a better word, wild, (laughs) you're noticing improvements in that area, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, that has been really nice to see. That is he looks good. at my okay. face more and attends more to what we play with. That is perfect. And as I say over and over and over and over and over, attention is the gatekeeper 
for every single skill we will ever teach a kid. So attention is huge. And even if it's not perfect yet, even if he is not sitting with you for long periods of time, you're still noticing improvements. And that those little right. baby steps, and those incremental increases are so important. So if you're a parent out there listening, let that be encouragement to you that it doesn't all just happen in the blink of an eye. You can't just expect for a kid who's all over the place to suddenly sit down and be completely enthralled with you or what you're doing all in you know, the span of about 30 seconds. You've got to work on it for weeks and months and then notice that little bit of improvement like you've done. So congratulations to you for having that kind of clinical eye out there and thinking, okay, this is this is still a problem, but it's not like oh, yeah. it was. So awesome. yeah. so she says, okay, so you go on to say, uh, do you have any advice for kids who get stuck in the action imitation face for a while but won't yet imitate noises and you go on to say he imitates actions fairly consistently but when I'm not there mom says he just takes her hands and pulls her toward what he wants I mean that and gosh that's so common I've been trying to sign with him for a while and there doesn't seem to be much follow-through with mom even though I encourage it weekly he sometimes will give his hands to me to make the signs for him but he will not yet imitate the sign and he's been in the stage for months now as well. I'd love to hear your advice. Thanks for listening. All right, so that's kind of where we are. Anything new that you want to add about him uh, as far as his um, history goes? You said that he's a twin. No, but he is a twin and he has a developmental interventionist which is new in the last about five months, I would say. Okay. So how she's long helping work with that joint attention also. Okay. So how long have you seen him? Um, about seven months now. Okay. So he's got DI and he's got speech. Does he have any other services too? Any other ones? OT as well. He's okay. very sensory. So that was okay. something I noticed and referred him to. He well, when he throws himself against the furniture, it seems that he likes that input. Um, he's very tactile. Yeah. Okay, so that gives mm-hmm. us kind of ideas of things that we would do too. So, what what sorts of things have you done, Madeline, that have you think have benefited in improving his attention? So, tell tell me some of the strategies that you're using that kind of like it used to be this way, but now we've done X Y Z and. <laughs> You know, this is what we're saying now. So what are some things you've tried? Yeah, he really likes peekaboo. So we've been, I've been getting more attention with that, where we'll hide and then he'll come out and he giggles and giggles. And that's kind of a new one where he'll keep, he watches me and waits for me to do the peekaboo. Very that's cool. An exciting new one. That's good. And do you have to be like right in his face to get that or can you be a little bit further no. away? Yeah, I can be further away. We could use the couch or other items. Good deal. And that's this is why I want to say this, and I'm sure you already know this because you've already done it, but that's a great way to build joint attention. And and you already mentioned joint attention, that his developmental intervention is helping work on this too. And, you know, we're talking about attention in general, you know, ways to kind of keep them with you. And the the, the reason attention is so important for parents who are listening, and if you're a therapist, this is how you explain it to parents. Until you can get a kid's attention, again, he is just not going to be in a physical or mental developmental state or state of readiness, I kind of call it with parents, 
he's not going to learn anything when he's up really, really, really doing um, his best to satisfy that internal drive to move and that internal need to stay busy. And that's just how his body likes to be. That's where his his best little uh, bump or his little woohoo, his little his little motor running, that's when he feels the best. So that's kind of how you explain that to parents. But you say it's so hard for kids at that point to include other people in any of that. And so you have to take what they like to do, what's their best, most connected state, and like you're talking about with peekaboo, and then you have to turn that into ways that it's a little more removed in that you start out when they're, you're totally right in their face doing it, but you pull back a little bit because that's, for, that's the point where you get joint attention going, where you're teaching them to pay attention to things that just are outside of themselves and not right there, just, again, like I said, all-consuming right in their little face. So it's so good that you've already taken a social routine that he likes, like peekaboo, and you've moved it out a little bit so that you're using the couch, you're using a chair, you're using a door, you're across the room, and again, that forms the foundation for joint attention. And joint attention is important <laughs> because we have to get kids to be able to look at things and show them things so that they can learn to link meaning with the words that we're saying. Because if everything has to be so immediate and right there and so so just... Um, Again, like I keep saying, in their faces, it's so hard to get them to notice things that are beyond that little one or two foot perimeter. So that's why that's why we have to do that. So that's great that you're already seeing that and you're taking that little routine and making it, um, you know, making that not only your social interaction goal, but you're reaching for that next level, which would be joint attention. So good for you on that. What are some other things that maybe OT? You said OT's working on some things to help him regulate. What are some sensory things you're doing? Yeah. Um, so he really likes touch. So when I sing to him, he attends really well to my face. So that's been that's been a new thing for him. Oh, he previously it? was not very interested in songs and would just kind of run around. And now he's more, he'll stay put and look to my face. And yeah. then with the singing, yeah, and with the singing, he likes to be touched. So if we're doing the motions together for Wheels on the Bus, for instance, he just, he'll just love to give me his hands, and then we do it together, and then he'll smile and giggle. Real? That's good. You know, and that hand giving, let's talk about that for a little bit. A lot of kids, I mean, do you think he's doing that? Why do you think he's doing that? First of all, let me say it's not necessarily a negative thing, because sometimes when I talk about that, you know, we kind of get into the, oh, he can't do it yet. That's a motor planning deficit, and it totally is. But for a kid like him, I kind of look at that, or I don't kind of, I look at that as a positive indicator that he wasn't really reaching for you before and he wasn't engaged in interacting before. And now, to me, that looks like a big social bump that he's holding out his hands and he wants you to take them and do something with them. Is that how you're interpreting that? Absolutely. I completely agree. Okay. I think it's a and good then, step that he that he tries, you know, to he understands the routine and he will also give his hands for the sign language as well. I think let's let's move on kind of and talk about that. Let, well, let me just say these are the things that I wanted to talk about with kind of pulling your picking your question apart. 
We needed, I wanted to talk about ways to kind of improve his attention, give you some additional ideas with that, talk about turn-taking and that joint attention piece, which we sort of talked about. I want to definitely talk about signs and sounds, too. So that's kind of where we're going with the show, looking at all of those different areas. So before we move on, let me kind of go back to attention. Um, do, you, do you need some other ideas for that, Madeline, or you feel like you're moving along with that sensory stuff? Pretty well. Um, Attention-wise, attention he is not yet responding to his name, and I would say that's the biggest struggle that I've had. Okay. Well, I for mom, that. he responds better, but for any other adults or people, he does not respond yet. I too. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> and that's <laughs> a real kind of red flag for autism. When kids really right. aren't responding to their names, especially for a two-and-a-half-year-old, and, again, this is for parents listening and for therapists who know this, but you may have forgotten that you know it. In typical development, babies start to really respond to their names and alert to their names early, like four to six months. And certainly children who are typically developing can consistently respond to their names by 12 months. So when we see a two-and-a-half-year-old who's not responding to his name, that's just another big aider that there's more going on than just the talking piece. We've got a real receptive language or comprehension component. And even beyond that, lots and lots of kids with just straight, receptive, expressive language delays do respond to their names, but a subset of those kids who go on to be diagnosed with autism are the kids who have the most difficulty with that. And so I just wanted to kind of mention that there for therapists who are listening and especially for parents. That's a marker that we really, really look for. And it's also pretty common for kids who are on the spectrum to respond better to their primary caregivers with their names and then really kind of completely ignore it when another person uses it because they really haven't, again, linked meaning with that, and they don't really know communicatively, I'm supposed to look. Somebody's talking to me. And those are all other reasons that would support your clinical impression that autism is, is what's going on there. So just wanted to mention that for uh, parents and therapists who are listening. And that's how you talk about it with parents. That's how you, when you're ready and when a, parent's, when a parent is emotionally ready to kind of go there, and they're saying, you know, what could be wrong with my child or what are things you're seeing or he's not making enough progress right now and you're giving kind of supportive evidence for we need to have this uh, further evaluation. That's certainly kind of a conversation you can have around that whole name piece. So hopefully I've given some people a script there to use when you're talking about a kid who's not responding to his name. All right, so other ways to uh, improve attention. You're already using social games. You're already using lots of sensory kinds of strategies. When you're playing with toys, what, what, are, you, what are you doing that's working to get his attention, Madeline? And then maybe I can help you with uh, some other things to get his attention with that before we move on to another little area. Sure. He really likes noises. And one of his favorite toys right now is the ball and hammer game. So he just loves to bang on those toys and make the ball go down. So I'm adding the sound effects, wee, whoa, and those kind of things. Have you heard any of those little imitations? Has he tried any of that? No. Not yet. Okay. What does he say when he, what, what kinds of sounds does he already make? 
he will babble, and so sometimes he'll say, you know, just ba ba ba, go 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 go. That was the one time I heard a word, maybe, but it yeah. didn't seem to be super <laughs> intentional. <laughs> Has he repeated that at all? No, I mean, you've just heard it one time, or he does it consistently. Just one time, and I have two times gotten him to repeat my babbling. So when I said "ma ma ma," he has done it for me okay. two times before. And what context was that in? What were you doing? Oh, we were playing um, on the floor and crawling around. He's just <laughs> all over. So we were. I had him look at my face um, when we would stop. And then we would back uh-huh. to each other. <laughs> now, were you able to repeat that? You said you've done that twice. Have you tried that lately? Yes. And the other thing that he likes with that that has worked is the Talking Ginger app. So, you know, those Talking Tom apps and on the iPad. Um, he really likes the cat and to hear him repeat what he says. So that has been really good for both attention and imitation. So super, that's super motivating for him. So, you yes. know, I was going to ask you about motivators. What other kinds of motivators besides the app? Is, is that the best one? I would say that's the best one along with just moving around. Sometimes I'll run around and chase him, that kind of thing. Good deal. And what will he do to initiate that? to keep that going with you? He will look back at me. Okay. How do you think you could, what do you think you could do to kind of expand that? Do you think there's an action you could add for that, maybe reaching to, does he already do that? Not yet. He does not. Reaching could work. Yeah, I think reaching could work with him. You know, and to do that, you said he's already sort of imitating some body movements, right? Yes. So that's what I would do. That's what I would, and this is kind of my whole point with this. Let's take what he does already and let's add just one easy <laughs> little <laughs> movement or sound that you know he can already do. And sometimes I will try both to see what sticks. So if I were working with him and he liked Chase and he was already kind of looking back at me, I would do a big pause, and I would hold out my hands really big to see if he would imitate that as kind of his sign or his initiation, his his way to let you know, hey, I want to do something. And there I might, like you said, he's already doing my, my, my. I would probably turn that into more and say more, 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 my, 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 more, 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 and kind of babble those together. And sometimes I think, oh, who am I doing this for? Who am I linking this kind of word to this sound approximation for, is it the kid? Or sometimes I think, I'm linking this for mom. (laughs) I want mom to know this is how words, this is how sounds morph into words. (laughs) And so sometimes as you're doing that there, you know, really tell mom, hey, we could, I think over time, potentially we can shape this sound into a word. So that's kind of why I'm modeling both here to see what he's going to do. And the truth is, lots of toddlers, if you'd model more, 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 or more, whatever, you're modeling that word, they change it anyway because they're going to do vocally what they can do. And so you don't even have to model the approximation of that 
but it feels more like babbling, and that sounds more where you're going to have success for him because that's where he is developmentally. So I kind of do both there. Have you tried some of that, Madeline, where you're – okay, Yeah, I have a lot, especially with that ball and hammer toy, for instance. I'll take it away and then have him look at me and then and then model more. and then. But that's when I start doing the sign with him too. Yeah. All right, let's back up and talk about those signs. So let's 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 do this in a real sequential, logical kind of way and just tease apart why he's not signing yet. You know, there's some prerequisites for signs, so let's see if he's met all of these. My hunch is there's some deficits in more than one of these areas, but it's going to give you something else to work on and think about. So prerequisites for signs. Number one, the social piece, that he's aware of you and focuses on you when you talk to him. And so how does he attend when you are signing? Is he looking at you or is that joint attention piece still pretty weak? He is looking at me, actually. Okay, good deal. And you you gave a good example of that when you were saying that you know, when you're right in his face and when you're doing your social routines that he's looking at you more. So he's also looking at you when you're just when you're signing to him and just talking to him during play. Yes. Yay. And that's pretty that's progress because he didn't always do that, correct? Correct. That is definitely progress. Absolutely. And and let me just ask you this. I'm gonna say this for any parents and therapists listening who have not made the connection, what did you do to get him to include you more and look at you more? What what do you think is attributable to that progress? I think I met him where he's at instead of trying to push him too hard to be further along and incorporate what he enjoys. Such as I wish singing, for instance. <laughs> Perfect answer. (laughs) So you met him where he is. So you let him do a lot of movement. You didn't expect him to sit down and comply, and you didn't expect him to work on talking the very first day. You just did a lot of things that he already likes and that he was already doing and found a way to assert yourself into those situations so that he let you join him. Right, and he actually had a previous speech pathologist before me, and every every speech therapist is very different, of course, and I got to do a co-treat with her, and she really required him to sit down, and he kept getting up, and then it was all about bringing him back and bringing him back. And so when I started, I told mom, you know what, let's let's let him go, and let's try to incorporate this into the session. Oh, I just want to come give you a big hug. And so that's important for parents to hear because I have so many parents who listen to the show who will email me and they'll say, you know, I've been listening to the show or I've watched your DVDs or I bought this course even though I wasn't a therapist and I've watched these clips of you with kids and, you know, you're not like battling them to stay put you're not punishing them for lack of a you know and I I doubt that many therapists would think that that's what they're doing but when we are constantly saying no 
sit down. You can't have it. Those kinds of things. I mean, that really is what that is. And that just with a kid that you're describing just hardly ever works. And even when we think about our colleagues who are in ABA and applied behavioral analysis, they will use some of those things, but you have to look at what they're doing. They're really rewarding that kid to stay put. And so they're really constantly reinforcing his ability to stay with them. And so sometimes speech therapists kind of miss that and think, well, that's what an ABA therapist would do. This is about behavior and stuff. But we're not doing the constant reinforcement that an ABA therapist might be doing. We're just kind of taking the behavioral expectation with you have to sit here and you have to do that. And then it results in what you've described. You have a whole cycle, a whole session of come here and sit down, 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 rather than reinforcing their participation with let's do what he likes, let's keep him with me, let's keep him happy, let me join in what he likes to do rather than kind of the other way where we're making kids do what we want them to do. So good job, good job managing that. And because of that, you've seen some nice progress so that now he is able to sit and let you play with him and you're not having to battle that get up, get up, get up as often right. as the other therapist. So good job. So okay, so the first prerequisite for signing is the social piece and that's moving along. So we're gonna put a big check mark by that one. Second prerequisite yeah. is understand the back and forth piece of communicating, meaning they listen to you and they respond. So that's the turn taking piece. So how is how is his reciprocity there? Not so great. That is something we are working on. Okay, good deal. And so what are some things that you do that are successful with turn-taking? Will he do any little trading games with you, Madeline, where you give him something, like you give him something and then will he immediately give it back to you or is he kind of a hoarder? Yeah, he's more of a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, I've seen this kind of kid before. I knew what you were going to say. Yeah, you know, I, that turn-taking piece for me, and I didn't learn this trick until a couple years ago, maybe more like five years ago, where you just really focus on little trading games. So, you know, that you have something that they want and you are, um, or let's start, it's usually easier if you start with something that they have that they don't really, really, that they're not obsessed with so that they'll give it to you. And so just hold out your hand to see if he'll give it to you and then hold it for like, oh, half a second and then give it right back. And then see if he'll do some of that kind of little turn-taking. Some kids get confused by that at the beginning and, you know, again, think they have to hoard it or they have to run off or they have to do something with it. And, you know, of course we want to teach functional play and all that, but to get the turn-taking piece going, to get that real, get kids to really understand that back-and-forth piece, we have to really do that non-verbally and in play. And sometimes you have to do it where you're not even playing yet where you're just doing that, I hold it, you hold it, I hold it, you hold it. And so it might be something like, you know, with a baby wipe or with a brush or something that's more like a, an object in an everyday routine where there's not necessarily anything, a reason that they want to keep that object a long time. They're just going to hold it and give it right back, and then you hold it and then give it right back. And so see if you can get some of those things going. See if that will work for him. It doesn't work for every kid, but it certainly has helped me with some kids just that they learn 
again, to include me there. And then we're going to do some things in that just the most rudimentary back and forth kind of way. And, you know, we think about this stuff when we say, oh, roll a ball back and forth or you know, we'll do it in a social game like Give Me Five where we're trading, you know, little hand slaps and stuff. But sometimes we need to break it down even more and do it kind of at that object level. So that might be an idea that you try. And so even like if you're going to give him a toy that he wants, don't immediately put it in his hand. Make him work for it a little bit so that he at least has to hold out his hand. You know, think about, you know, what's the next little thing that I can do with turn taking? What would be this next little piece? So that's an idea that I would try. And, and again, this is that same philosophy that you've been implementing already where you take something that he he can already do or something that's just so super easy and super close. You're not starting at a at a big unattainable place. Your only expectation here is that he'll take an object from you and then give it back. And so that is an easy kind of way to start with getting more of that turn taking going. Had you been doing some of that or would that be a new idea? Um, that would be kind of new. He is an escape artist, so he's fleeing the scene a lot. So I've been really struggling to find activities that he's interested in. That has been a big focus yeah. for us. Yeah, and that might be something you can do too when you're introducing a new toy is just to do some little trading. You know, you give it to him, he gives it back to you. You give it to him, he gives it back to you. He might actually do that better with mom at the beginning too. And you're just going to say to her, hey, this is just so that he really gets used to staying with us, so that he really is getting used to including us, so that he knows that we're a part of this. This really has no purpose other than that back and forth, keep him with me, keep him interested in what we're doing. And again, you can sometimes do it with something like a spinny light toy or just some little toy where it takes like the turn is super, super fast, but you're just taking those little quick turns back and forth. So that would be something that I would try to get going to. And, it's, it's, and he does love again, spinning. Yeah. He loves spinning so and toys that light up, for sure. Yeah, so use it with that kind of thing where you're – giving it to him, and, and for sometimes for those kids, if they totally turn their backs on you, you know, once they have the toy, you may not even totally be able to completely let go of it. <laughs> but you're letting it and then taking it back for just a second, but you're holding it more toward yourself and then back toward him, and that's how kids will get into that. Now, if he starts to think, she's taking this from me, and it turns into a big fight, you know, of course you would stop that immediately because that's not going to help anybody. But at the same time, if he could really, you know, that, that would be another way to target that um, turn-taking and that reciprocity where you, you're going back and forth a little bit. So that's certainly something I would try to. And those kinds of yes. toys. And, oh, go ahead. Oh, he loves to throw. So with any toys that we start playing with, if he gets, you know, bored at all or maybe he just yeah. likes the noise of the thing dropping, he, he loves to throw. I'm seeing that a lot with him. Well, he and he'll let you take a turn with that too. Does he notice when yes. you throw the toy? Yeah, he will. Yes. Good deal. So you know that's certainly a great way to get turn taking going. It, those little throwing games or those little, um, those little kinds of things where you know, and you can do it either where you have a whole bunch, like a whole bunch of 
balls that you're throwing in a basket, but sometimes with those kids it works best just to have one where you're both kind of focused on the same ball. You throw, he throws, you throw, he throws. So, But you sound like you're already kind of doing that. So I would just think more about when yeah. you're doing those things, making sure you take a turn too and that he's letting you have a turn yeah. and you're holding out your hand to get the next object to throw. And that's where those little turn-taking, those little easy trading things Games, again, it might take a while to get that going, but eventually they do learn, oh, she's got her hand out, so let me give her the toy and let her have it for just a second, too. So that would be a good way to, uh, throwing games would be a good way to kind of get that going, too. So I would try some of that. Perfect. Okay. Let's move back to our, so with signing, he has a social piece, the turn-taking piece you're going to work on a little bit because he's got to be able to watch you and know, okay, she's going to do the sign, now I'm going to do the sign. So that's why that's important. The next prerequisite for signing is imitating body movements. So you said that he's doing some of that. Give me an example of some of the body movements that he'll imitate. And will he directly imitate it, Madeline, or does he just kind of imitate it later on his own? He's better at imitating things with toys. For instance, if I, like, spin a ball, then he'll do it in the same way that I did. He's better at that than imitating body movements, generally. Yeah. Um, I've tried to incorporate the body movements more with songs, and that has been more limited. Okay. So, you know, and that's pretty common with kids who are on the spectrum. Because, one, they that mirroring piece, you know, the mirror neurons, and, again, not to be too technical for our parents who are listening, but... It's natural for children to want to copy and want to imitate. That's how they learn everything. And in children with autism, researchers tell us that that's one of the neurological differences, that they don't have the same hardware or the same the, – the, the, okay, let me just not talk myself into a circle here. Social imitation is hard because children with autism don't get the natural feedback of wanting to copy what they see other people do. And it makes it even more difficult when there are body movements involved because their motor planning, meaning that they can't necessarily always see you do something and then naturally make their bodies do it like a typically developing kid can. So we've got kind of the social piece that is, uh, not as we not developing as we would expect it to in a kid who has red flags for autism, and then we have a motor piece that's also disrupted. So that's why signing is really hard for lots of our little guys on the spectrum because they have to pull together all these processes that are natural kind of deficits for them. So they're already kind of running behind the eight ball there. It's already this stuff is already so naturally hard, which is what makes them have the delay in the first place. So <laughs> before a kid can sign and before he will be signing functionally, meaning that he's going to use these signs on his own, he's got to be able to imitate the sign. But before he can imitate a sign like more, like please, like cookie, like cracker, whatever, he's got to be able to imitate body movements. And so, again, we're kind of backing all of this up. So he's imitating actions with toys, but that's that next little step, actions with body movements. And until you get that going, signing is probably not that realistic for him because he right. hasn't gotten it in the you know, kind of the more basic 
way yet. So that's I think you're doing great with working on that kind of action in um, songs. And so I would just kind of double down on that. And I would make any kind of little routine that you're already doing with him, even when he's climbing on the furniture and those kinds of things, see if you can pair any kind of simple motor imitation with that. So it could be clapping. It could be just holding his arms up when you're saying, yay. It could be like if he's about to walk over to climb or do something. I had a little marching thing where you're kind of making big stomping movements with your feet or do something with your arms where you are swinging your arms or any kind of big body movement. You've got to get that going first. So um, I don't know. I didn't ask you what products of mine or courses of mine that you already have because I always think that that's a little self-serving when I do that. I'm not going to ask but Building Verbal Imitation, that book, and Steps to Building Verbal Imitation and Toddlers, that course, that whole little piece is level two. So bumping him up from imitating actions with toys to that next little piece where he can get that going with his body, it, you know, those kinds of ideas, that's what I would focus on. If you already have those products, <laughs> pull those out. And look for some of those ideas. And, again, you're already doing a lot of that with hand motions and stuff, but you just, in songs, but you may have to just really, you know, triple down on getting more of those actions going and imitation going that way before signing to work. And that's how you explain it to his mom, too. You say, you know, no wonder he's not signing yet because he should be imitating, or before he signs, he would be imitating lots of these other kinds of body movements and things that look like gestures. Like, he's probably not waving bye-bye yet, is he? Mom has seen a lot of these imitation uh, with body parts, body movements. I have not seen as many. I've seen clapping, and that's about it so far. Okay. So when she's – so what I would do then, kind of what I've, I've done just talking with you, is say, Mom, when does that happen? Tell me how you got him to do that and see if she can replicate some of that stuff with you. Because if you're seeing how she elicits that or facilitates that, you, that may give you some ideas of, one, what you could do to get some of that going when you're working with him, or two, how mom could do it better or some additional ideas that she could do. And just really help her walk through how can we increase the ways or the frequency, the number of times during the course of a day that he tries to copy something you do with your body. And it might be at mealtime that she bangs on his chair tray, you know, to get that going. It might be, you know, that she, if he already does things with actions, you know, she may do some things like with his spoon, you know, let's hold your spoon up, let's hold your spoon down, let's bang on the chair tray with your spoon, you know, any kind of little silly, you know, let's make circles in the air, any kind of little silly things she could do. And you may start with an object and then drop the object and see what he'll do with his little body after that. Does that make sense? Yes, that sounds great. So try those little games. And, again, do everything you can to say to mom, it's not going to be enough for me to do this in this, are you seeing him weekly? Yes. Briefly, it's just 30 minutes a week. Oh, my gosh. Um, Don't even get me started on that. But you're (laughs) going to have to say to mom, look, you've got to do this heavy thing here. And I understand that she's a mom of 
twins and there's a lot going on, right. you know, even with that other child. So you're just going to have right. to help her say, in the bathtub, I want you to splash first and then let's see if he'll copy splashing you. I want you to pat the side of the wall of the tub and let's see if he'll copy you banging on the side of the tub. You know, I want you to throw the all you know, throw one toy at a time in the tub before you get in and let's see if he'll throw that, you know, and then you've got imitation and turn taking going on. So just see how you can walk through mom's day with her and pick out four or five times a day and think what are some different kinds of little actions or body movements that she can get so linked to these routines, not only for him but for her so that she'll practice that. So that's something I right. think he's going to need and that may be easier for her to think about than signing. Signing just may not come naturally for her. And she I think that would be, be thinking, the case. Yeah, and she might be thinking, he can't do it anyway, so why am I even going to try? You know what I mean? I mean, some moms, and Very I mean, you're just being honest here. Yeah. And so just talk <laughs> to her about these actions and how all kids have to imitate and how these imitating actions, that's going to come first before he could ever imitate sounds and words. And so just talk to her about that and see if you can come up with some really practical ways to sneak that in. And, and again, it sounds like to me if you can get mom to buy in a little bit better to those kinds of things, that that will be easier for her to remember to do. And just the frequency of the practice makes it more likely that he's going to um, get it and that it'll he'll start exactly. to do it more. Okay, yes. so that was third prerequisite for signing. And then the fourth one is really important too. How's his receptive language? Is he linking meaning to words? Is he understanding? Not so much. Okay. Just, a, just a little bit of the, you know, from the basic routines in his day, like go get your shoes and that kind of thing. Um, but so, even that can be inconsistent because he may be running around or, or doing something else when someone's asking him to get his shoes or, or what have you. And that's the attention piece, too. And so, you know, you've, he's yes. a poor little guy. He's got kind of a lot of little <laughs> deficits that are working against him here. But, you know, and you really come up with, again, when you're talking to mom about those body movements that he can copy, do the same thing with just really simple receptive language commands. And sometimes even these little body movements help with that. They start to really, again, listen more often when they're imitating and copying action-wise what, what mom is doing all day, every day. And they do start to learn that, you know, bang means this and clap means this and pat means this. And they start to follow directions like that a lot more often. And then you'll see some nice carryover with other kinds of receptive language things too because they listen better and they attend better. Does that make sense to you? Yes. It yes. does. Double down on that receptive piece as well. But you sound like you're doing such a good job, Madeline, with getting the foundational pieces going with social interaction and with engagement. You just got to bump up to that next little step with, you know, you're doing a good job with getting him to imitate or try to imitate, <clears throat> excuse me, in the context of those fun social routines. That you've just got to take that to play in daily routines too. But you've done it in exactly. Yeah. Uh, the right way. So that's fantastic with that. Um, All right, let me ask you this. Go, you go ahead. Were you going to say something? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Have you thought about PECS with him, the Picture Exchange Communication System? 
I have thought of that. The actual, the um, previous therapist who was working with him tried that a little bit, but it didn't seem like there's enough meaning with pictures quite yet. And I'm trying to have him, you know, attend to books and see, you know, maybe if he would point at all or even be interested in the pictures. And we're not quite there yet. He's getting a little more interested in books, but <laughs> not quite there yet. I know. And so here's the thing with pecs and with pictures. You've got to start with it's got to matter. And so sometimes I see kids, therapists are just kind of beating their heads against the wall because, you know, I do a lot of consulting now where they're sending me videos and saying, this is what I'm dealing with. What would you do? And it's so obvious that the kid has no idea. You know, the picture is no different than the shoe or a fork or it's just another object and they don't know what to do with it. They don't understand what it's for. They're not symbolic. They don't get that the picture of a cookie is same or represents the cookie that they're holding, There's that, that cognitive connection isn't there yet. So I totally get what you're doing with that. The way to start with pictures, though, is just to really pick out something that's super, super motivating and have him just really, really trade for that picture, even if he's not really, again, the, the pecs authors say that you really don't have to have that symbolism yet. First, they've got to understand the pragmatic piece I trade, you know, the the use piece. I've got to give you this, and then I get what I want. And so, again, you're, you're going to be working on all the prerequisites. You're going to work on the trading piece just with little toys and things and those easy turn-taking games that we talked about. But that might be something that you, you might want to – do you have the PEX manual? It, it, that's such a – I'm not even going to ask you that. If you don't have the PEX manual, <laughs> get it, <laughs> read it, <laughs> borrow it from somebody or whatever, and then just do level one. Don't worry about anything beyond that. And PEX does such okay. a nice job of talking about selecting motivators and picking things that he would like. And it sounds like that's kind of a challenge for this little guy, too. Yes, it sure is. He does like food. Yeah. That could be motivating okay. for him. That would be, a, that's probably what I would do is just take some pictures, mom's phone, your phone, whatever, get them printed. And then, you know, the picture of it, don't I don't try to use, you know, board maker drawings where they're line drawings and yeah. it doesn't, not going to, golly, don't get me too started abstract. on that either. But, yeah. So, yeah. so uh-huh. just take the pictures and see what you can maybe start with that. And, again, you're not looking at this, I'm going to design a whole PEX notebook for him today and I'm getting, I'm getting Velcro strips, you know, and don't do that. Do kind of PEX light, although the authors would probably – say don't do it that way because their research says that you have to be pretty systematic but just start with that training and another Uh thing though and I didn't ask you about this and I bet this might be one of the reasons you're not using it yet is mom's opportunities for carryover. PEX is very clear that you need 30 opportunities for trading a day and so is that even kind of realistic for that family or no? I really don't think so. That is probably my biggest issue is parent buy-in and carrying over what yeah. I'm doing because each each week I make sure to give, you know, tips of this is what can be practiced in the next week. Does it seem realistic for you? And, yeah, you know, I'll get a yes, but then I will notice, for instance, you know, if the kid is sick for a week or two, which has happened, we've missed a few weeks in a row, I will see regression. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that happens. And on one hand, as a mom, I don't know if you have kids yet or not, Madeline, but as a mom, you know, I can see when you have a sick kid, everything else, who cares what else happens? You're just taking care of them when they're sick. So I can see that where that would fall fall off and that kind of thing. But at the same time, that consistency piece has to be there. And and you have to say to mom, you know, and and kids have regression for a lot of reasons, you know, Kids can have regression when they're sick because they're just, that's just one of the things that happen. And certainly our little kids with developmental differences are more likely to lose skills anyway because that's just one of the, that's just one of the things that comes along with having developmental differences. It's just not as easy to kind of get back to baseline once they've had this disruption, you know, which now we're kind of, ta- we're talking about an illness. And so you talk to mom about those kinds of things today so that's why it's important that as soon as they're feeling better and as soon as you feel like you're not so overwhelmed with the day-to-day dealing with a sick kid that we get right back in this and that we pick it back up as soon as we can because, you know, as you can see, you know, man, he's not able to do these things that he was just able to do a month ago. So, gosh, doesn't that concern you? You know, and no mom is going to say, oh, no, I'm not worried about that. I mean, even if they say that, they don't really feel that way. And so that might be a way to get a little bit more buy-in and stuff. But I understand you're reluctant to introduce tech if a family already seems kind of overwhelmed and you don't think there will be enough follow-through. Yes. She's admitted to me, but she's feeling overwhelmed. I understand. I do, too. And so I just wanted to bring up PECs, one, to make sure that you had thought about it, and you have, and you have good reasons for why this may not be the best choice for the family. But know that you may want to revisit that, and you may want to say, hey, this might be something. Now, did you say that you think he'll probably go to preschool when he's three? I did not say yet. He will be going in March. That is already a plan. Okay. So, see, that might be your end for pecs, too. And you might say to mom, I know that in preschool they're going to want to do something like this because he's getting older now. He's able to pay attention a little bit better this might be something that we need to start now in preparation for preschool. And a lot of times parents will buy into that more than they do, hey, you need a way for him to communicate with you every single day. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't register with them, but getting ready for school will. And so maybe that's something that you can, maybe that might be a little in. If you think it's worth your time between now and then to do, you may not. And, again, you know this family, you know this kid. I don't. I'm just, you know, giving you ideas (laughs) from which you can pull. But that might be a way to kind of think about that, too. Another thing for pets that I always say to parents, yeah, that I always say to parents is there's so much research that says kids who aren't developmentally ready to talk Text gives them a way to communicate, and it really prepares them to talk because they they practice that turn-taking piece, and they practice that intentional, oh, my gosh, I do something, and then I get something. And so many kids, that's what's missing with their language. It's, it's that intentionality piece. It's not the talking part or the expressive part, and sometimes we work so hard on that as therapists without realizing, oh, there's an in-between step, and if I work on that little piece, that'll that'll really set the foundation and make that easier for that kid rather than just focused on the complete expressive piece. But you seem like you have a good handle on that. Yes, I yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you, you've got all that. But that might be something to really kind of think about, too, with text and a way to kind of talk to a parent about it, and not necessarily this family. That might be saved for another family that 
perceive that a little bit better. Let's talk about sounds <laughs> a little bit more, because I know that was your okay. primary question, too. It sounds like to me, too, you know, we've talked about imitation with him, that he really, um, he'll do it with toys because there's, uh, uh, he can see kind of what happens after that. He can see the effect with the toy, but he's still really, again, that imitation piece is not present with signs or with body movement, so he still is going to have a hard time making that leap to imitate sounds and words. So it sounds like to me that you've got to really do some pairing in there with with getting sounds that he can make linked with something that he already likes to do so that that So you're already doing that with Go, Go, Go. I would keep trying that with all of your games since you've heard him do a G and some kind of vowel. (laughs) So I would do that. And I would try what we talked about with the ma, 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 with making that as an approximation for more, if you can. So I would try that. But I I would make it all real verbal routine based, Madeline, meaning that you do these same sounds at the same times with the same activities over and over and over and over and over again until he just associates that, you know, he links meaning with it and he associates that sound that he can already do with an activity he's already doing. So just like we talked about with having mom um, work those actions into daily routines, like we talked about with the bathtub and with those little um, imitating with actions with a spoon at mealtime, think about what other things that they're doing that she can just pair really simple uh, vocal play kinds of uh, vocalizations with with those actions and the things that they're already doing. So that's what I would try there. It's un, It doesn't sound like to me developmentally. He's He's looking at you more and he's staying with you more, but it, I think that you feel some in-between steps to see before you're really going to hear him intentionally imitate yes. any kind of sound or word that you make. Yes, I think so, too. I have to fill in some gaps. Yeah, and I, I totally think that you're on the right track with that. I think that you, it's just, I love how you talked about your change in approach and how that was from going to, you know, meeting him where he is, doing a lot of movement, doing a lot of social games and things. I would just, instead of making that, you know, moving on straight to sounds and words, I would really focus on the imitation piece and the turn-taking piece and join attention and see what you can mm-hmm. get going there before I would do anything else. And I think that I would really and, – and mom, so let me ask you this. Is mom, like, saying to you, is she anxious for words? Or do you think she understands that you're working on all this linguistic stuff? I have said that I'm working on the pre-linguistic stuff, and I I believe she is anxious for words because I haven't heard much in the way of carryover with the pre-linguistic skills. It seems like she's kind of believing he already has them. Okay. So maybe I need to explain it in a better way for her too. Is that I've I've said to her, I believe that he has some of these skills, but we need to see it consistently. And so maybe it's kind of the consistency piece that's missing the most. Yeah, I think so too. And you know what I've started to say, and this is from my new book, 
let's talk about talking, I really have started to say to moms, there's a difference in just having a skill. And like you're talking about the consistency piece, I'll say, yeah, he's got that skill, but it is really, really weak. It is weak. We have got to strengthen that. We've got to see this frequency really increase so that we don't just see him do this one or two little times. He's got to do it like hundreds of times in one day before we would think he's anywhere near ready to talk or near ready to say uh-huh. these things. It's really kind of having spending some time in a session where you're doing a lot of talking to mom about those things. Now, I'm not the kind of therapist that thinks that you should just sit and talk with mom for your whole, and you only get 30 minutes <laughs> Oh, you know, no way would I do that. But I certainly would spend some time really talking about how we've got to strengthen these skills, and that's why we're not hearing him talk. Yes. So I, I bet I'm just going to, and again, I hate asking people, do you have this product? Do you have that product? I, I'm gonna, <laughs> If you have not ordered Let's Talk About Talking, Madeline, I'm going to send that to you. Is that going to be something that... <laughs> Have you already ordered that, Madeline, or can I send that to you? No, I haven't. I would love it. (laughs) Okay. That would be wonderful. I'm going to send it to you because, listen, there's a chart in the back. In the past couple of podcasts, I've been just talking about this chart, but once again, this chart (laughs) is going to be your best tool with your family because you're going to be able to go through there and say, this is what he has, this is what's weak or what's emerging, and we've got to make it a lot stronger. And when she sees that out of these 11 skills, you know, he's missing eight of them or seven of them, then it starts to become a little more apparent to a, a parent <laughs> why <laughs> weren't happening yet. And they can see it right there in black and white. And they can they can look at, oh, my goodness, no wonder. You know, and, you, and then you've got a tool there to be able to explain it and leave it with a mom so that she can hopefully – think about it and look at it after you're gone too. And it just makes it a little bit more tangible. And especially for these moms who are kind of so overwhelmed, you know, this I, I bet she's like a lot of other parents who w- would never listen to a podcast or read a book because they just right. don't feel like they have time or can make that investment right now. But a single-page uh-huh. chart really kind of helps pull it all together. And it also links the pre-linguistic skills with why it's important for language, and it's just a one-line explanation. So you're not, you know, going on and on and on. <laughs> you know, for 20 minutes, you've got he needs turn-taking because the, that forms the basis for conversation, for back and forth talking to each other. He needs uh, a, to be able to pay attention because that's how all of us learn anything. It's the gatekeeper. You've got to have that first. So you've got, you'll have some one-liners to really reinforce that try to give her before. So after the show, I want you to email me your address so that I can send you this book. But I think it's going to help you a lot. And all of the ideas that we've got today are in the book. And so here, here's what I would do if I were you. I would take the chapters that we've talked about, the developing a longer attention span. You've done such a good job getting that going, but there are going to be some other ideas that you can pull from that chapter to make his attention a little bit better. There's a good chapter on beginning, which those little back-and-forth turn-taking games are in there, and so you can copy some of these pages too and get mom to do that. Certainly the chapter on imitation with getting body movements going in imitation, that'll be a good kind of piece for you to pull from. 
So I think that you're going to like it. So here's here's the deal I'm going to make with you. I'm going to send you the book, and then right before he ages off at three, I'm going to have you back on the show so that you can talk about things that really, really worked. Because I think this little guy is so representative of the kind of kids that so many therapists really struggle with. And so I'd love to hear about or things that didn't go so well. You might say, Laura, I tried that idea, and that just completely bombed. And we can kind of talk about maybe what you could tweak. It becomes um, even better. So does that sound like a good idea? That sounds great to me. Thank you. Okay, good deal. Good deal. All right. Well, that's going to be it. We are completely out of this hour. It always goes faster than I want it to go because I had some other things that I wanted to talk about. But that's okay because you're going to get it in the book and you'll be able to uh, implement it that way. Yay. Thanks, Laura. Thanks so much, Madeline. And thanks, everybody else, for listening in to this conversation. Have a wonderful week, and we will be back next time. Thanks so much.